Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I said earlier, today begins Staycation Bible School, and every week, uh, Reverend Jenny McDivitt is going to be looking at a passage in the Bible that has to do with Jesus having a meal with others. Well, that just whetted my appetite. So I invited myself to the first meal mentioned in Luke's Gospel. Let's hear about it. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My daughter, Virginia, loves cooking shows. Now, obviously, she is not alone because there are so many of them that are popular. Crazy Delicious, Iron Chef, Top Chef, Chopped Chop Jr., The Great British Baking Show, Hell's Kitchen, it goes on and on. I don't watch those shows, but I do enjoy restaurant tours. I remember one weekend early in my marriage with Millie, we fit in one weekend in New Orleans, breakfast at Brennan's, lunch at Commander's Palace, beignets from Café du Monde, and two dinners in restaurants in French Quarter with names that I don't remember. It was an eating weekend. In fact, when I'm at different places, I love to go on restaurant tours. My preacher buddies and I go to Richmond every year to continue our education of theology and the wonderful restaurants of the city. Reverend Alec Evans, who lives there, serves as our guide. I have continued a 21-year local tour of the many good places to eat in our valley, though lately I would describe the tour as takeout excursions. Carlos, River and Rail, Wildflower, Alexander's, Rockfish Grill, Blue Apron, Local Roots, so many more. Restaurants are one of the glories of Roanoke, so I support them as much as I can, though now supporting them means takeout mostly. 
Now, for those of us who love a good meal, whether dining in or dining out, for those of us who eat not only to live, but also for those reasons we live to eat, to savor the settings, the flavors, the company and conversation of others, we have in the author of Luke a kindred spirit. The passage that I read earlier is the first of 11 stories of Jesus having a meal with others, 11 stories in the gospel of meals. And then when you get past those 11 meal stories, you have Jesus talking about food all the time, doing what I love to do with Frank Pruitt and Marianne Sandborg and Jen Brothers and both Links and Joe Miller, talk about food. We cannot live by bread alone, Jesus said. When asked why his disciples are not fasting, he says something to the effect, and I love this, why would you pass up the opportunity to have a meal with someone who can change your life? He talks about crumbs falling from the table, a feast being thrown for the prodigal son, and starving Lazarus, wishing he could have just a little bit of a dish on that sumptuous table of the rich man. I think if Luke's gospel were made into a miniseries, It could be shown on the cooking channel. Now, of course, when you look at all these passages, you notice what is true about meals, meals with others, that food is only part of it. In fact, if someone were to make Luke's gospel into a miniseries to be shown on the cooking channel, they'd have to enhance the scripts Because Luke really doesn't give the menus. He really doesn't talk about what is served and how it tastes. No, what he focuses on is the company and the conversation. And what does hit you immediately when you look at all these passages together is that Jesus is not the least bit interested in social distancing at these meals when it comes to passing the plate or pouring the wine Now, I'm a big fan of social distancing right now for reasons of physical health, but with these passages, it is social distancing for moral health. That's the issue. Some Pharisees and other religious leaders make the perfectly understandable point that you need to be careful about the company that you keep. I said that to my daughters when they were growing up. Don't join a herd on a stampede toward destruction is like the things that I would say to them. But still, these leaders probably know, well, they do know, that Jesus, as a rabbi who has come to teach, isn't going to become a tax collector just because he's breaking bread with tax collectors. So really, their objection is about reputation. Even in these days before photographs and videos, word spreads fast about those with whom you've been seen. But Jesus isn't all that worried about his reputation, I guess, because he refuses to distance themselves from those the moral elite wouldn't have in their homes for reasons that are understandable and reasons that are just biased. He ignores the ignore list and passes the plate to Gentiles, to prostitutes, to Roman collaborators, to the sick, to the poor. The theme about whose company you keep is set right here at the very first meal in Luke's gospel. Levi, he's a tax collector, one of those Roman collaborators. 
These tax collectors are not salaried government workers. They are collection agents who work for Rome and too frequently collect more than is required to pad their own pockets. There's a reason that Levi can afford this big banquet. And it should come as no surprise that when Levi throws a banquet for Jesus, he's going to invite his friends. His friends are going to make up the guest list, and that means other tax collectors and others who spend time with tax collectors because perhaps they are shunned elsewhere, those who have done something or gained reputations that get them to the point where they are simply identified as sinners. And so I bet you you think you know where I'm going with this. It's where I've gone previously on passages like this because a good sermon could be preached on this passage about grace and tolerance, about finding ways to make room in your church, in your life, in your neighborhood, in your family for those who most need God's grace or at least are perceived to most need God's grace. But actually... That's not the point that I want to make this morning. I want us to consider this story in light of this being the first of 11 stories about Jesus having a meal with others. Today, let's notice not just the surprising names on the guest list with these stories. Let's notice all the names. In fact, let's first look again at this meal in Levi's home because I want to question some assumptions that I made when I spoke earlier, assumptions that a lot of people make about this meal. Was it really fair for me to look at Levi simply as a tax collector, as a person of questionable reputation, of questionable character? Yes, as a tax collector of his day, he probably built his wealth in part through extortion. But let's remember why he's throwing the banquet. Jesus has called him to follow him. He's a disciple now. He is a follower. He left everything to follow Jesus. And by the way, when he left everything, it's commonly thought that he left all his money behind. No, he left everything. He left his life behind. He's He's taken on a new cause. He hasn't abandoned his tax collector friends, but he's not living that life anymore. He's on this new path, following Jesus so that good news can spread around the world and maybe even spread right there in his own neighborhood. Because let's again notice why he's throwing the banquet. He isn't throwing a party for his friends He is throwing this banquet for Jesus and has invited his friends. He wants them to meet Jesus too. He's introducing his friends to the one who has made such a tremendous difference in his own life. Yeah, as a father, I didn't want my daughters to be led to bad decisions or them lead others to bad decisions. That did happen once or twice. But if anyone, if anyone is going to be influenced by the company they keep in this passage, it will be, at least Levi hopes, it will be his friends and getting to know Jesus, the one who is now directing his own life. This meal may not be a picture, you see, of Jesus hanging out at a bar or a brothel to show how open he is trying to meet others who might not want to meet him. This just might be a picture that could be taken at one of the many house churches in Luke's community, a community where meals are shared, where sins are confessed, 
where grace is celebrated, where people have come together because they've been brought there by this gospel good news and has motivated them to come together when they might have otherwise stayed apart. Now, if you go take a quick look at the guest list of the other meals that Jesus has in Luke to see about the company he keeps, what you find is that he's just not that picky. He'll eat with just about anyone. Yes, he'll eat with publicly shamed sinners, but he'll also eat with respectable pillars of the community, like Pharisees and other religious leaders. He'll eat with those who are sick, but also he'll eat with those who are well. He'll have dinner with people of another race and religion, Gentiles. He'll have dinner with fellow Jews. He'll share a meal with 5,000 people on one particularly remarkable day. Actually, it was more than that, but that's another sermon. But he'll also dine privately in the upper room with just his close friends. You get the sense that Jesus is at home at a family night supper at church and at a meal at the rescue mission at a meal thrown for a visiting rabbi and for a meal with two men that he meets up with walking along the road. He'll respond to a spur-of-the-moment invitation by Zacchaeus and make elaborate plans for a Passover meal with only his closest friends. He is certainly willing to come to your house and to my house if we only invite him. Well, truth be told, He's probably already there, even uninvited, hearing the things that we say to each other, knowing already what it is that we really think and what we're passionate about, what would make him proud, what embarrasses him. And that's comforting, knowing that he's with us. But it's also unnerving. For if you look at these meal passages, you find that along with the theme of the company Jesus keeps, that there is this theme of the conversations that he has with the people who are at the meals that he shares. Jesus doesn't follow the rule about avoiding certain topics at the dinner table, beginning with faith and politics. That's just not in his Middle Eastern makeup. It's not part of his Jewish faith. It's not part of his habits as a rabbi. He he stirs things up. He challenges, he questions, he pushes, he agrees, he disagrees. Again, that theme is set with this very first meal passage in Luke. I imagine it being this open-air banquet because folks insert themselves in the conversation who are not eating this meal. Pharisees and their scribes, perhaps coming by to check out this new rabbi, they come by and they see who's eating together and they ask his disciples why they, why Jesus is having dinner with tax collectors and sinners. Perhaps their voices carry or perhaps they say it loud enough because they really mean for Jesus to hear, kind of passive aggressive, but Jesus hears their question and he gives the answer. Now, maybe he shouts it over the heads of those around them, perhaps embarrassing them, but I would like to think that he gets up and goes over to this gathering of religious respectables so as to answer them without hurting the feelings of others. But he tells them, you know, those who are well don't need the physician. Those who are morally sick don't need the rabbi, the moral physician. 
I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the unrighteous to repent. Which raises a question early in Luke's gospel. How do you make that dividing line between the righteous and the unrighteous? Before we feel safe, because at least we aren't those uh, particular self-righteous Pharisees and their scribes, and I can assure you that parts of us are like those Pharisees and scribes, and it's not all bad. But let me assure you that if you look at the other table conversations in Luke's gospel, you'll realize that Jesus doesn't let anybody alone. He'll challenge anyone, not just those who oppose him, but also those who follow him, not just the guests at the meal. He loves challenging the hosts of the meal. But he doesn't do it just to do it. He doesn't do it just because he likes to get something going, because he likes to stir things up. I want you to remember two things. Jesus does this out of love. And second, he is never the one to leave the table. He is never the one to refuse to break bread with another. He has meals with those who listen and with those who don't with those who adore him and with those who plot to kill him, with those whose lives are changed by him and with the one who leaves the table at the end of the gospel to betray him. And that is why I said he probably already is at my dinner table and yours, even when we didn't think to invite him or when we foolishly thought that he wouldn't show up anyway. Luke's gospel ends with the resurrected Jesus appearing to his disciples, shocking him that he is there. He isn't invited. Why would you invite a dead man to your house? They think he is dead and gone, but he shows up alive and present. And then he shows them the wounds in his hands and in his side. Every reason we might have to reject others can be summarized by those wounds. Gossip, betrayal, lies, humiliation, social and political attack, violence, abuse, all done to Jesus, all there in his wounds. And yet there Jesus is, still with them, still with us. This Fourth of July weekend is one in which we celebrate political liberties. But here in this virtual sanctuary, you're in a sanctuary now, you might be in the den, you might be in the living room or your bedroom, but in this virtual sanctuary, in this hour of worship, let's celebrate the moral liberty that Jesus has. That he has this liberty to love even when others do their very best to give him reasons not to love. He can't be made to hate he cannot be forced to walk out. He is free to be there. He will come to the table where you and I sit, and he will not be the one to leave. We are going to come to a table where Jesus is host, and we're going to be invited to be liberated with him. Because he takes bread, and he breaks it, and he shares it with the likes of you and me, with us all, at our best and at our worst, 
And maybe we can hang in there with each other at this bill, not leave, possibly stop talking so much so that Jesus can get a word in edgewise, a word that might challenge us, push us, and affirm us, or question us, change us. Knowing that he does this out of love might give us the courage to drop our guard, our assumptions, our memorized defenses of what we think we already know, and be changed by his word of healing and grace, just as Levi was. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.